ready to rise above loud, angry headlines, longing for an alternative to the world's fighting and fear-mongering? Christianity Today magazine offers a trustworthy, faithful perspective on stories that matter to you, from the church next door to movements and ministries all around the world. Subscribe to CT for full access to in-depth reporting, insightful commentary, and redemptive storytelling, both online and in print. A subscription to CT also includes seasonal devotionals, special issues, and exclusive content. Visit orderct.com today or click the link in the show notes to get started and join a growing community of thoughtful evangelical Christians who value different news that makes a difference. That's orderct.com to subscribe today. This week, I was thinking about the fact that it was the anniversary of the day that my old boss uh, was elected to the United States Congress. And I tend to, on that date every year, reflect on him and what I learned from him. And I can tell you that I learned a lot about life and leadership from a politician in a way that that uh, I think might be surprising to some people who tend to think of politicians in a in a really cynical and and negative uh, way. Uh, but I, when I think of this man, uh, I have this sense of great gratitude that I was able to to learn from him. Our fifth son, Taylor, is named after him. He's Taylor Eugene Moore, precisely because of the sense of gratitude that I have for him. And you know, I I started out working for this guy at a really really young age, and he invested in me um, at a time when, as I look at it now. I think he took a risk on me in a way that I, I've never seen another politician do. And if I were advising someone, I would say this is crazy. I started out as a high school student, sort of stuffing envelopes for him in a congressional race that he was running that he lost. But he lost that election by a narrower margin than what many people were predicting. And so he kind of came out of that uh, with a a little bit of, of momentum, even though he lost the race. And the U.S. congressman who did win the race, who was a, a very good uh, congressman, a very good man, uh, was tragically killed in, a, in an airplane accident eight months later in August of the next year. Uh, by that point, I was starting college. And so I became active and involved in the campaign then, too, on a volunteer uh, basis and, you know, working working at handing out bumper stickers and doing phone banks and all of that because I believed in this guy. He invested in me. He hired me as an intern first uh, in his Washington office and then put me in charge of his internship program and then put me in charge of communications for his 1992 uh, re-election campaign when I was, what, 19 years old. Um, and uh, I was working for him in all of our offices, Washington and all of our district offices in Mississippi, driving all over South Mississippi with him uh, in various places and, and, and learning from him. And I think one of the things I learned from him is about taking risks on uh, investing in younger people 
who are uh, able to do what it is that you're you're asking them to do or who can learn to do what it is that you're asking them to do. And so I've kind of thought about that. There have been times when in ministry, as I've been putting people into ministry positions or hiring people for positions, I've thought to myself, ah, that person is really, really young. And then I remember there was a guy who took took a chance on me uh, when I was I was young and and gave me an opportunity to make some stupid mistakes and to learn and to and to have those skills uh, sharpened in ways and that's that taught me to be able to to take take those chances and to take those risks and to cultivate people and so not just to expect people to come into your orbit already an expert in whatever it is that they're doing, but to take that raw ability and to let it develop and to, and to teach and to what I learned that from him. And I think if, I, if it hadn't been for that experience, I probably would not do that. Now, in every case, does that work out? No, uh, no, sometimes it doesn't. But in many cases, it does. And it's been a great blessing to me uh, in, in ministry over the years. So I learned that from him. Second thing I learned from him is a commitment to the unborn. Uh, this was a, a man who was a Democratic United States congressman. At that time in the state of Mississippi, there wasn't really a difference between Democratic and Republican parties uh, on the social issues. Most of the Democrats were pro-life and pro-family and, and what have you. But as he was dealing with the national party, I remember – hearing some of these kind of party bosses saying to him, you know, you might have a future if you didn't have the position that you have on uh, the abortion uh, question. And, you know, I can look around and around that time, um, right before that and then right after that, you had a lot of politicians in that party who switched on the abortion issue because they knew that they would never be able to make it nationally. You're not going to be chosen to be vice president. You're not going to be able to win a presidential nomination. And frankly, when when you're most politicians who are operating at the national level for for either House or Senate kind of think that they might be president or vice president one day. Uh, my boss didn't, I don't think, but but many of them, them do. And my boss just said, uh, as he heard one person say to him, "Well, if you if you altered that position on abortion, then you 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 might have a future." His response to that was to say, "Yeah, but then I'd be a prostitute." And I remember him saying at one point, "Yeah, and then my wife wouldn't vote for me, and she shouldn't." And so he, uh, I was pro life before I came to to work for him, but I don't think I cared about the issue. Uh, until I was with him and I saw that for him, it wasn't just a platform issue. It wasn't just a, you know, pro forma sort of thing. He really cared about this issue, which is why he always mentioned it. I cannot think of a campaign that he ran when he wouldn't talk about the unborn, not just about life generally, but about unborn children. And so I learned a lot uh, from that. I also learned a lot about integrity from him. And again, that's going to strike some people as odd that you learn about integrity from a politician. But I did because this guy, uh, Gene Taylor, was – they called him Opie 
is from Andy Griffith's show, Opie, because he was kind of clean gene and uh, there's nothing ethical uh, that you could find on him. And people kind of made fun of him, uh, really, for that reason. He was kind of just sparkly clean, no ethical issues. And he was brutal on those ethical questions. And so, you know, you'd always have these sort of interest groups that would come by and they'd, they'd give you uh, things, not big things. I'm not talking about Rolls Royces and Rolex watches or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, the, the Apple Growers Association brings you apples, uh, you know, to your office or the National Cotton Council brings socks or whatever. Just these little items that would come through. And he was absolutely dogged that none of that uh, was going to be there. And none of us were allowed to go with a lobbyist or with somebody to, to eat somewhere. And he was really focused on that. And he was focused on it not just for political reasons, because nobody would have even known about this. He just had seen people become bought and sold, and he was determined that he was not going to be bought and sold. And neither were we uh, if we worked for him. And he also recognized, and he would talk about it, uh, you know, we'd be driving around and he would talk about the people that he knew in politics who had made kind of moral compromises, some of them financial, some of them sexual, some of them all sorts of temptations that were there. And being able to sail through that kind of world without being destroyed by those uh, temptations. And that meant he had, a, he had a plan together. Before he ever was elected to Congress, he was already thinking, how do I serve as a U.S. congressman without just falling in the way so many people have? I, I really learned a lot from that. I learned about being proactive when thinking about temptation uh, in ways that, that apply directly to ministry and to gospel discipleship and uh, raising children, marriage and family life, so many things uh, that applies to. And he also taught me the importance of conscience. This was somebody who was coming under criticism all the time. And uh, so he was, you know, he's elected official, so he's getting all sorts of, uh, all sorts of of hate mail uh, all of the time. It never seemed to phase him. But I remember one time when we were in a meeting with some uh, Democratic activists, and this was in 1992. Here was my boss, this really conservative Democrat, more conservative than most of the Republicans uh, in the House. He's a Republican now, but was a Democrat at the time. And this, this group of Democratic activists were there, and they were, they were upset because he wouldn't walk the party line on a number of issues. And so they're going through, and you didn't vote right on this, and you didn't vote right on that. And they were really upset because at the time, in 1992, there was a, a question. George H.W. Bush was the Republican nominee. Bill Clinton was the Democratic nominee. And then Ross Perot, uh, the billionaire businessman, was running as a third-party candidate. And for a while, there was a real question, because it was kind of a three-way tie for a while, as to whether that election would be thrown. Uh, nobody would receive 270 electoral votes, which would throw it into the House of Representatives. So there was a real chance early in the year that he would have to cast a vote on who was going to be the next president of the United States. And Gene did not endorse Bill Clinton, his party's nominee, didn't even vote for him. And had serious character concerns uh, about Bill Clinton at the time. And when he was asked to make a commitment that he would vote for Clinton if it went to the, the House, he said no. 
He said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. He said, I don't uh, trust him. I wouldn't trust him with my daughter. Now, whether you agree with his perception of Bill Clinton or not is irrelevant. That's, that's not the point that I'm trying to make here. But the point is, that's what he believed. And so he, he said to this group, that's what I'm going to do. And he said, I'm going to vote for whoever receives uh, a plurality of votes in our district. That's, that's who I think our people want to be president, and I will vote for that person. And that enraged those people in the room and enraged them that he wasn't, wouldn't endorse this candidate. And so they were just coming after him really viciously. And I was, I was shaken up. I was tense. I, you know, I was, what, a 19-year-old kid, 20-year-old kid, and I'm, I'm just thrown by all of this. And we, we get in the car and are leaving, and I just, I just was expecting him to be shaken and rattled by this. And I said, man, that was awful. And he said, eh. And I said, why aren't you upset about this? And he said, eh. I said what I believe. This is, this, is, this is who I am. This is what my convictions are. And the people of South Mississippi, they elected me to represent uh, my convictions and to be true to who I am and not to lie to them about what I really believe. And I'm not. And that's what I said. I said what I actually believe. And he held to that. Uh, And he did the same thing when in 1991, actually earlier than that, in 1991, when President Bush brought the resolution forward to the Congress to authorize the Persian Gulf War. And our district was not only, um, it it was one of the most heavily military uh, districts in the whole country. I mean, I would later serve a church in which Maria and I were about the only people in the church that weren't either active duty Air Force or retired uh, military. It's a very military district, very hawkish district. I mean, if you'd gone through and polled whether or not uh, we ought to uh, go to war against Saddam Hussein in 1990, 1991, I'll bet our district would have been 92% uh, for that. Gene believed it was a wrong war. He, he, he believed it wasn't morally justified at that point, and so he voted his conscience and said, I cannot authorize this. And I remember thinking when this happened, we just lost re-election uh, the next year. But it really helped me because if he had been primarily concerned about his own re-election, he would have, he would have simply said, 92% of my people, 95% of my people are for this. I'm, I'm going to be for it. Now, I happen to disagree with him on that. I happen to think the Persian Gulf War actually was warranted. And, uh, and I think the outcome of it demonstrated uh, that this multinational uh, coalition coming against, coming against Saddam Hussein's uh, invasion of Kuwait was, was probably the right thing to do. And if, if it hadn't happened, uh, Saddam may well have continued to expand out into Saudi Arabia and out into other places uh, in the Middle East and created a conflagration. I think that is at least a credible view at this point. But regardless of that, when I saw this guy say, my commitment to making sure that we send men and women into harm's way only after every other alternative has been exhausted, and I don't care if it costs me re-election, taught me a lot about what it means to stand with conscience. And um, I learned it from this guy from this, this politician. And so the reason I think I'm telling that is to say, first of all, you may be learning lessons in places that you don't expect to learn them that are going to be beneficial to the way that you serve Christ, maybe even from people that don't even know Christ uh, in your situation, perhaps. 
and also because those of you who are serving in places that aren't thought of as ministry, maybe you're a politician or maybe you're a business leader or maybe you're a journalist or whatever it is, it may well be that your example of integrity and honesty and authenticity and commitment to excellence and mentoring, whatever it is, may well be used by God with people who are watching you that you don't even know they're watching you right now. That's an encouraging thing to think about. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.